Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we come in light of the reality that you are a generous God. You give to undeserving people, people who have it really every turn, not looked to you, not sought after you. And yet in your incredible grace, in your lavish mercy and love, you care for every single one of us. Everything that we have, every good thing that we have is from you. Even the air that we're breathing in now, every breath, every heartbeat, you are giving that to us. The jobs that we have that we maybe have had for many years or maybe a few years, you're the one who has given us that job and these abilities, these skills to be able to do the things we do. And so we look at our lives and we recognize at every point you have given us all these things by your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love, O oh Lord. You are incredibly generous to us. And of course, we, we know that in your mercy and in your grace and in your lavish love, you gave us and you sent your son into the world to come and to save us. Though we rebelled and though we do not give you, and we give you very little even, you gave us your one and only Son for us and for our sins against you, the living God. And so we come before you this morning, we come as a grateful people, thanking you for your overwhelming generosity in your incredible love towards us. And we rejoice in you, O Lord. We glory in you, O God, as the one who is our hope. And we pray that you would help us, Father, today, that as you have so given, that we would be also a giving people, which is more than just with money. It is all variety of things, all sorts of things. It is our time. It is our lives. It is our words. It is our actions. It is our witness. It is everything that we would set before you ourselves this morning as living sacrifices before you. So may you help us to be a giving people even as you are incredibly giving. To us. May we indeed lay down our lives before you here and now. And so may you give us grace this morning. May you give grace to us, this needy people and the needy people we are. And we unashamedly admit and say that we need your word this morning. We need your help and your grace that we would hear it and we would receive it. And so we pray for your help, Lord. May you be with us as we turn to it. And may it be wonderful. May it be 
convicting. May it grow us and conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And if there are any here who don't know you, may you help them to see their need for the Word this morning, their need for Christ the Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles. You can turn mine around to James, not Genesis, to James chapter 1. And we'll be looking at the end of chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 this morning. So James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Now this week, I saw an article that was rather alarming. Maybe as you do whatever you do, and you have your news sources or wherever you Go to get your news. Maybe you saw this article as well. Well, the title of the article, it sheds some light on what I mean. And the title was this. Decline of Christianity shows no sign of stopping. Now that by itself is not necessarily the alarming part, because I've heard that many times. Over the years, of course, that is alarming in and of itself. But what it went on to say was the more alarming part. It says in the article, in a new study out today, that's Tuesday this past week, Pew projects that in 2070, so 48 years from now, Christians will likely make up less than half the U.S. population. Now we know that that is a projection. It's not guaranteed. But just imagine the ramifications of that. Let's say it did come to pass. And imagine how that just goes right on into the school's into your home, into here, our neighborhoods, government, and on it goes right down the line. The ramifications of something like that are massive. So right now, as it stands in America, 64% of people say that they are Christian, of course, You know, define the word Christian, I get that, but taking that as it is, what this is saying, this article is saying, is that by 2070, how many people profess that they are Christian can be just under 40%. That is incredible. And so is that alarming to you? It's a bit alarming to me. I mean, that changes the world as we know it in America. Of course, as we hear that, we temper it, and we need to temper that projection with the unshakable truth that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church 
Matthew 16, 18. That is a fact that regardless of how greatly the world roars at us, we know that Christ's church will not be undone. And so we don't tremble in that way. We believe the word of God. And so we temper it with that, and we also temper it, and I would even say that this would be a reason for us to get on our knees and pray for this, but we temper this also with the possibility that God may well bring revival and change everything. And we need to pray for that. And so we temper it with those two things, and yet... In hearing that projection, it surely is a call for us to consider many things as well, isn't it? And I would even, you may have heard the saying, there's a saying that goes like this, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Well, I would add to that, the hand that moves the world moves his people to go and reach the world. And so when we hear that in 2070, that perhaps 40% and under of people will profess to know Jesus Christ, that, does, that should stir us before the living God who has called, called us to go and make disciples of all nations. It should stir us to go out and reach a desperate and needy people all around us. And so as we hear projections like that, we're not to simply remain as neutral observers to the lost and needy world around us, but we are to act. Doing nothing is not part of our strategy. (laughs) And James' words as last week come to us then with a greater weight in view of our world's desperate condition. And you'll remember the words that we heard from last week. What did James tell us in James 1.22? He said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So our faith, it's not to be a faith that's for the shadows. A faith that is kind of tucked away behind the closed doors of our homes and of our churches. But we're to have a faith that is on fire and we let that fire out and to go out and to go everywhere we are. It's to go out into the nooks and into the crannies of every single sphere of our lives. And this is indeed and in fact what the Lord does and will do. He does not save a man So he can serve the Lord only in a building for maybe an hour or two in every week. But he saves the whole man and the whole woman to live a life holy to the glory of God. We were not redeemed to just go on and live like the world with the only difference now being that we call ourselves Christians. No, friends, we are to be different because 
we are different. And so this morning then, the Lord is calling us to that. To be doers of the Word. He's not calling us to an empty, kind of worthless Christianity, but to a faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. And so as we get ready to read the Word of God and hear all of this in various ways, may we take that up. May we come under the Word. And may God, as we read these verses, may God bless the reading and hearing of His Word this morning. And so for the sake of context, let's read here beginning with verse 18. And I'll be reading until verse 27 here in James chapter 1. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now our verses this morning. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, as we have been walking through the letter of James and we've been walking through this book, I hope that as we have been doing that, you are seeing that this is a book for our day. (laughs) And I hope you've seen that as we've been going from verse to verse and throughout this chapter, it is in many ways facing down that article that we began with. It's facing down a false sort of blasé, indifferent sort of Christianity. James, he is passionately and with all he is aiming us and exhorting us that we would be about a genuine everything in or everything out sort of faith. And this is why we see what he's addressing here. He directly challenges worthless religion. And we see that in verse 26. 
that there is such a thing as worthless religion, a worthless Christianity. And it's not that way because of it, like because our faith, it lacks veracity or because it's not true in some way or because Jesus isn't the Savior, but instead or rather it's worthlessness and it is worthless because of the person who treats it that way. A person who goes on in their lives and as they go out, they live it out that way. And so remember here how we got here to verses 26 and 27. If you know Christ, God brought you forth by the word of truth. So James 1.18 And now because of His grace, having brought us about by His powerful working within us. Now we're to go and live out the implanted word and live by the implanted word, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our lives then begin reflecting that implanted word that God put there. And now we live for him. And so it makes complete sense that he goes then in verse 22 and he says, be doers of the word. It's those who are hearers only who go to church Sunday after Sunday and they just kind of live out a facade sort of Christianity. They, when they look into the mirror of the gospel and they go away unchanged, that is worthless religion. They go away and they do nothing. And this is how James gets here in our verses here. Worthless. That word here, it literally means like vain, empty, like no real value there. <laughs> it holds no real significance over your life, like worthless. It's hearing without doing. Now that word religion, though, we need to do a little bit of work here. <laughs> that may well mean all sorts of things. Wherever you are, you may be hearing it in all variety of ways. Like, what does he mean by religion here? And people often use it in all sorts of ways as well. So what in the world does James mean by religion? Well, let's look at this. Let's look first at what he doesn't mean. By it. So James, he doesn't mean by religion a general belief or system of beliefs. So this is kind of the more formal definition of religion that is used today. So as you hear this, you might be in a class somewhere, you know. So think here of the various religions all around the world, like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, etc., well, James, he is not talking about those. He's not talking about general religion. Nor does he mean here, by religion, a general morality. Now, this is one of the ways that we use the term today, religion. You know, you'll hear people say, oh, they're just a bunch of religious people. You know? And you know what they're saying. <clears throat> they're not talking about Islam. 
They're not talking about Hinduism. They're not talking about Christianity. They're saying they're moral in some way. Or they may even say like this, or it's not from the heart, it's, it's just a bunch of religion. Well, that usage of that word, it's more akin to like moralism or legalism or even just outright hypocrisy. Now, I think James, he's partially getting at this here when he adds the word worthless to the word religion. And so he's partially dealing with this, a form of religion that is empty, it's useless, it's not real, and so it's simply just kind of this empty spirituality. Well, this isn't what he's saying, though, that you are to be. Nor is this, I think, how he is fundamentally understanding religion here. He isn't talking about a general morality. He's not talking about a general religiosity or even a general hypocrisy. He's talking expressly about the Christian faith and whether a person is living it out in a worthless way or not. And so for that reason, he's not primarily talking about a kind of general morality here either. Also, James doesn't mean by religion a distinction between religion and relationship. Now, this is another common way that people kind of talk about religion today, and maybe you have yourself. They say things, or maybe it's on a bumper sticker, you know, we don't do religion, you know, we have a relationship. Now, that's true, and what normally people mean by this is like kind of a, a works-based view of religion versus knowing God by faith through Jesus Christ. Difference between the two. Well, James, he is not talking about that distinction here. And so he's not talking about any of those kind of ways we may understand religion today. And so as you're hearing this, you shouldn't be thinking, okay, general Islam, Buddhism, or just moral, being moral, or even kind of religion versus relationship. What he does mean by religion here is this. A real faith defined by the true gospel. Or by the real gospel. And so his meaning here, it is Christ-centered. It is God-exalting. It is God-glorifying. And it is to be a God-glorifying faith. A real faith. It's true religion. And this is the kind of faith he's been emphasizing with all his heart so far throughout this letter. It's a lively faith. A faith that is alive and breathing. And so he's talking about real Christianity, not a worthless Christianity. And so he's using religion here in a positive sense, not a negative one. And he's urging that you would not have a hearing only with no bearing over your life sort of religion, or i.e. a worthless Christianity. But instead, he longs that you and I would put all that aside 
and we would have true religion. And so he longs for that in you and me. And honestly, I long for that in you and me. Because I think the reason why that projection we began with heads, is heading that way is because many just have this worthless religion. They have a worthless Christianity. At the end of the day, it really means, it means nothing to them. And so like I said, this is a book for our day. That we would get on our knees before God and pray over these, this book. And pray for our churches. Pray for the people within our churches. Pray for our nation. Pray for repentance. That repentance begins with us. And so this is what he's after. Yet here, as he says all this, he has a specific reason for saying that this person's religion is worthless. It's the person who does not bridle their tongue, who has worthless, empty, vain religion. What he's saying here is that your tongue, friends, your tongue matters massively. Now all of this, what he's saying here and now, it relates back to what he said a moment ago. He's not just going off into some other land here. So back in verses 19 through 20, this is why I wanted to read the whole of these verses. He said, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anger like that, anger that does not produce the righteousness of God, it does not bridle its tongue. Right? This is what fleshly anger does. Now a bridle, as many of you know, is put on a horse to direct it this way or that, you know, kind of guiding it wherever you want it to go. A worthless religion does not bridle its tongue. It says what it thinks. It lets its anger fly. It hurts or maims or destroys, and then it just goes right on its merry way, saying to everyone, but I know Jesus Christ. <laughs> now let's say, just thinking about this, let's say that a friend of yours, they throw you a big party. You know, an incredible party. They don't leave anything out. You know, this is a lavish party. And the food, I mean, it's top of the line. <laughs> I mean, you would, you would go to top-line restaurants to go and get this food. And then the gifts, man, they are, there are many, many gifts. And they're not just these kind of like Dollar Tree kind of gifts. They are top-of-the-line gifts. Lavish gifts. 
And even have your family come. And your friends, come on in to this party we're throwing for you. (laughs) And even they top the night off with fireworks that spell out your name. (laughs) Incredible party. Let's let's say that your friend who threw you this really amazing party, (laughs) well, they treat you terribly the whole time. They speak hatefully to you. They speak angrily to you. They speak harshly to you. They degrade you. Not just in front of you, but in front of everybody. They make fun of you. They spread rumors about you in this party. They slander you. And you just become one big laughing stock. If someone's laughing at the party, it's probably because they're laughing at you. And so by the end of the party, everyone just kind of thinks that you're this big joke. Now let me ask you, the food, the gifts, the fireworks and all, what was that party? It was worthless, right? It was absolutely worthless. The facade of a party was there, but you come away feeling absolutely terrible, right? I mean, despised, unwanted, unloved. I mean, you, you can't even call that person your friend anymore. Well, some people, and maybe you, they dress up their lives that way. Yet their mouths make clear that their Christianity is worthless. You have all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, it is empty, it's vain, and it is meaningless. And why is that? Why would James say this about your tongue? Did you know that your tongue was that important? Because your words make clear what's really going on in your heart. You know, as Jesus, he says in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, if I go to an ATM machine and Skittles come out, now I love Skittles. So I'll just tell you one time, my uh, sister-in-law, she gave me a a very kind gift, a big Sam-sized bag of Skittles. And I think I went through it in a month or a week or two. So when I say I I like Skittles, you know what I mean. (laughs) And so if I go to an ATM machine and Skittles come out, initially I might be kind of like, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) all right, this is great. You know, $100 and Skittles come out. That's where it gets kind of problematic, right? (laughs) Skittles coming out of this machine. I didn't ask for Skittles, right? I want that $100. I can go buy that bag of Skittles with $100 if I want to or not. But when Skittles come out of the ATM machine, I know what's in the machine, don't I? And it's not money what should be there. It's Skittles. (laughs) You know, I've been deceived. The machine, it claimed to be one thing, 
But really, it's something else entirely, right? This Skittle machine. Well, that can be true of us. It can be true of you. You may claim that you're a lot of things. But the reality of what you are, it comes out in what you say. And so this sets before us very pressingly the question, how do you speak? What is it that comes out of your mouth? What is your tongue look like? How do you speak to others? And not just here. I mean, we can do that. We can have that nice dressed up party as we gather here on Sunday mornings. But then maybe even here, our tongues are just nasty and ugly. And so it could be here, but not just here. I mean, how do you speak to your spouse? You want to know what your heart looks like? How do you speak to the person that you're closest to? I mean, that will tell you right away where your heart is and what's going on in your heart. Well, how do you speak to your children, grandchildren? How do you speak to your family? Well, James, he is saying that if your words are coming out in all these nasty, terrible, maiming sort of ways, that something is off, and it's off at a fundamental level, at the heart level. If your tongue is wild and it is off the rails, to what is fitting for a follower of Christ, he is saying that your religion is worthless. That's how important it is. And he's not even finished with the tongue. He'll spend almost a whole chapter on the tongue in chapter 3. Because it's that important. And so let me ask you, what is coming out of your mouth? What's typical of your words? Now in contrast to that, in contrast to worthless religion that he speaks of here, he moves on to discuss pure religion, pure religion. And we see this in verse 27. So here we find what clean, guiltless, gospel-defined, Christ-centered religion looks like. And I say that on purpose because this is not general religion, not general morality. This is not a relationship versus religion dynamic. This is clean, guiltless, gospel-defined, Christ-centered religion. This is what it does. This is what it produces. This is what you'll see. And so true religion, first, its heartbeat, what it does and what it lives for is it lives to please the Father. It lives to please the Father. 
just like Jesus did. Jesus' heartbeat was the will of his Father. And this is why he, Jesus, he says in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, verse 37 and 38, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. What a promise. What a word that will not be moved. So go out and share the gospel, right? Because that's true. They will come to God. They will come to Christ. You just need to go and preach the gospel. And God will do the work. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whenever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is why you would care that you walk in this way that James says here. Because you long to please the Father. Because you belong to the Father. It matters to you what true religion is. And it matters to you that this says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And as you read that, you want to know what it says next. <laughs> you know, you want to know what comes after this. Because it is your heartbeat. It is your aim as a justified, by grace, sinner who longs to please your Father in heaven. Imperfectly. But that's your heartbeat. Tell me what's next. And so true religion calls us to love as He loved us. To love as He loved us. So what? James isn't leaving behind what he said a moment ago. We're not hearers only. We do as God has said and what He has called us to do. Why? Because in view of the Gospel where God sent His Son in the midst of our desperate, hopeless need and saved us, we then go to others in need gladly. And so it makes sense that He would say next to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Our faith reflects the love that He has shown us. It reflects what the Father is like and how he has been, what He has been like towards us. And so we care because the Father cares for the abandoned and the afflicted. That's why we care. Deuteronomy. Listen to what it says about God in Deuteronomy 10, 17-18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He is infinitely transcendent, yet He is imminent. He is near and He draws near 
And thus it says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. This great and mighty and awesome God doesn't do this. He draws right near to the needy and the helpless and all who are in need. That's what he's like. And so it says in Psalm 68.5, which I think James is thinking of here, he is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. What Jared read a moment ago from Matthew 25 may not make a sense at all to you if you have only a view of the gospel that kind of doesn't think in those terms of like needy and how, how this will actually go out in your life to go and reach out to those in need around you. You'll go and love them and share the gospel with them. It will not make any sense if you do not understand this. And what did Jesus say there in Matthew 25? He didn't say this was a small matter, did he? He said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then in verse 40, he says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And for those who don't, they are sent away into hell forever. What James is saying here, a worthless Christianity This is why it makes complete sense what James is saying here. We wouldn't think of this, right? We wouldn't go, oh yeah, orphans and widows. But he does. Because the Father loves the abandoned and the afflicted. And because we love because the Father loves the unloved as well. The Father loves the unloved. That's what those are, right? And that's what you were, right? (laughs) At least destroying yourself, abandoning God and rebelling against Him. And so what we're being called to here, that you are to love like the Father. This isn't just orphans and widows. It includes those, those who have been abandoned and experience affliction of all kinds. It's anyone that others stay away from. It's the neglected. It's the downtrodden. We don't avoid them. We love them. We reach out to them. We help them. We go to them because we are His. That is why in history you see believers leading in this. 
leading in the way of let's have medicine and hospitals and education and all these things. Let's start studying science and everything else because we are about our God. And we're living for Him. And so they go out everywhere doing this. And doing what they're primarily called to in all of that. Going and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's what your life is to look like. It's to look like Jesus. (laughs) You go out as selfless. You go out as cross-centered. You go out self-denying, reaching and going to the lost and needy around you. So this makes complete sense. And it's what we are to be known for as well. And so we're to be like him in all those ways. And we're to be like him and unlike the world. And unlike the world. You're not to live according to the world and its philosophies. But what does he say here? To keep oneself or yourself unstained from the world. And wow, there is no lack of threat here, is there? (laughs) I mean, you absolutely cannot go anywhere. I mean, in your pocket right now is what? Everything the world has to offer at your fingertips. You can go do it right now. And so there is no lack of threat here. And maybe that explains that projection. (laughs) A bunch of people just falling in love with the world and following it all the way into hell. And so I think this is part of the reason why that projection goes that direction. (laughs) The world's wave is rising higher and higher and higher, aiming to take you away from the truth. It's aiming to say, no, you need to go according to our standard. This, yes, sure, this may be what God himself has spoken, capital T truth, like it's true across every single category, over everything else, over all of history. Yeah, sure, all of that, but we're going to redefine all of that. When we have no right to, we cannot redefine what God himself is only allowed to define. Yet the waves of the world are doing just redefining marriage, redefining gender, and calling you and pressing you to give up the truth, to mangle your family, which it will do. And we will see it in years to come. And we're seeing it now. It will mangle sex. Absolutely meaningless. You can do it on a drop of a dime. Not think twice. Yet it's destroying you. And it's destroying all the people around you. 
crying out to us, the world, to be defined by our money, to be defined by our possessions, to be defined by our successes, to call evil good and good evil, and to make the gospel what? Detestable to us. And that's the strategy from the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Marriage, in its ultimate meaning, is to reflect the gospel. And when you, the world does this to that, Satan's laughing and saying, ha-ha, you see what I did there? Now the gospel becomes even more detestable to you because it goes right into your marriages and your family and how you view yourself. And it's all lies. William Blake, an English poet and painter, he said this, Man must and will have some religion. If he has not the religion of Jesus, he will have the religion of Satan and will erect the synagogue of Satan, calling the prince of the world God and destroying all who do not worship Satan under the name of God. That's where we are. (laughs) I mean, it's not surprising. If you know the Bible, this is expected. That's exactly what Satan would do. And so that's what we're seeing. Yet friends, you're not to follow all that. What God is calling you to do is to be who you are. Not in any way that you make up, but in what God says you are and what Christ has made you. You're not to be like the world because you do not belong to the world. This is the trick, isn't it? You live here but this is not your home. You have your homes, you have your fences, you have your jobs, but those things are not the ultimate things. You belong to Christ and His kingdom such that if this world and its philosophies rub off on you, what James says here is that it becomes a stain. It looks otherworldly, like this is not really what you should look like, is it? I mean, there's, you're supposed to be different from that. And the reason for that is because you are supposed to look different. You don't belong to this world, but you belong to Christ. You belong to Him. And so we are being called to live like those who belong to that other world, that world where we are heading to that better kingdom that is here and now and will be forever and ever and ever. And all of this will simply be a small, tiny, tiny dot compared to all of that. And so what will you do? Will you bow in submission to another statistic that we heard a moment ago? Or will you bow and live and love like your Father in heaven?
because you're his. And the world can do anything it wants to you, but that will not change that. And you know where you are going. Because you're not your hope. Christ is your hope in him alone. So will you go and live like someone who is part of another kingdom? As someone who has an urgent, no, the urgent message to preach for the needy, for the broken, for the unloved, everywhere. My hope is that we would. May we. May we. And Lord, help us if we don't. So go. And let your life be a life of true religion. A life lived to please Him. To please your Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning and we do pray and even plead for this in our lives that I know for many of us here, we, are, we echo this. Our heart is yours. We, we ultimately, we just say, I don't care about my job. I don't care about my home. I don't care about my fences. I don't care about my cars or my stuff or my clothing. I want you and I want your will to be done. And so we're willing to give up all those things. That's our heart. And that's to be our heart. That when the world comes raging, we don't start clinging to our homes and all these things, but we cling to the one we've been clinging to, Christ our Lord. And so we pray that you would help us today to love like this, to speak like this, because our heart is to please him, please our Father that we would go and care as he has cared and love as he has loved. Christ, how you have loved us. And so help us, we pray, to lay ourselves aside and follow Christ. That may mean we need to sell our homes it may mean we just need to go to our neighbor across the street and tell them the gospel. But we pray that you would help us do it. And we pray for those here who may not know you. They do have a worthless religion in the widest sense of the word. Whether it be an idol or be another religion in the world or be a false morality or legalism or even a tongue that acts as though it knows the Lord and doesn't. May you lead them to you this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.